Those of you who uh, know me know I like to read scripture, um, but sometimes I find this stuff overwhelming, and when I'm reading it, I can't quite finish. <laughs> I think I'm okay, but Mark may step in if I, have, if I go as far as I can and he needs to finish up. So today's readings are Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 to 23, and Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 and 37. They can be found on pages 913 and 678 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. Surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people. And those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone, but these, where have they come from? This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. The word of the Lord. God, I pray that you would uh, enter into this time as we listen to you, listen for your voice, listen for your grace. There is a place in the Bible that says the word of God is living and active And it penetrates into our hearts, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Would you do that work now through your Holy Spirit? We find that we are more of a mess than we care to admit. And your word, your story tells us we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Because you don't turn away from messy lives. You move towards them with grace. Would you do that this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Am I on? Is this good? Okay. Like a good neighbor. It's a pretty effective ad campaign, huh? You guys knew it. Some of you shy people knew it and didn't sing it. But some of you want to sing this morning. You're here to sing, right? Um, that ad campaign emphasizes the reliability of an insurance company. I like their, one of their recent advertisements, I think it was about a year ago it started, where um, two people hit each other with their cars in the desert, and the person starts that jingle, and I think before they even get finished, the State Farm agent appears out of nowhere in the side of the desert road. The other person says, oh, I have blah, blah insurance, so person, come help. And then his mom appears 30 feet away on the phone and says, there's six callers ahead of us, Jimmy. Um, and he says, you're not helping, Mom. I think it's, it's funny, um, but it emphasizes that reliability, right? You're, you're stuck. You're in a jam. It's almost like, it's, I mean, the spiritual implications are obvious right away, right? It's almost like, okay, I'm stuck. I'm abandoned. I'm alone. Are you there? Where are you? In this passage of Scripture, we're dealing with, you notice the... Um, Really, a key verse and a key thing that's vocalizes is in verse 14. When a promise is made by God that, you know, things are going to turn around and, and the people in exile say in verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. There is a, a skepticism that comes at this promise of a song that's going to be sung and joy, and the fortunes are going to be reversed. There's deep skepticism, as one commentator put it, from the despondency of exile comes this, you know, this sentiment of, I'm going to, you're going to forsake me? God has forgotten me. And you, you know, you don't have to be in exile as a people to enter into that same skepticism, that same loneliness, that sense of abandonment, that sense of doubt over God's involvement or God's connection. In fact, if you have any desire to connect with the Christian faith, with faith in Jesus and what that's going to look like, or if you've been journeying that for a while, you need to, somebody has to be the messenger at some point who tells you this. It's not fun. I'll be the messenger today to tell you. You're going to hit these points. You're going to sometimes feel abandoned and forgotten and alone. And you're going to feel exactly what verse 14 says. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Are you there? And it's interesting to address this issue of God's reliability. It is compared, God's reliability is compared to a mother's love. That's how uh, Isaiah in this chapter, tries to sort of argue us out of our place of abandonment and forgottenness and feeling forsaken. Unlike the State Farm ad, which looks at the mother as unreliable, Isaiah 49 looks at the mother as reliable, a picture of reliability. Like in this book that I threatened I was going to read, 
A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew, he grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was two years old and he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves, anyone have a two-year-old? He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when the two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The little boy grew, he grew, and he grew, and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old, and he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when Grandma visited, he always said bad words. (laughs) Anybody got a (laughs) nine-year-old? Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. And if he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was a teenager and he had strange friends and he wore strange clothes and he listened to strange music. Sometimes the mother felt like she was in a zoo But at nighttime, when the teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Do you think of God like that? I asked last week in the question of the week, what, um, what's the difference between a mother and a father? And three people in perfect sacramentum form refused to make gender categorizations. Um, and uh, three people used the word nurturer in their answers, and one person, where is it, here it is, one person said this, while I don't think that there are essential gender differences, see there it is, in the way way parents love their children, a biological mother manifests her love through the literal sharing of her body with her children. She extends the hospitality of her womb for nine months and then feeds the newborn from her own body. And that's exactly the motherly reliability that Isaiah 49 keys into for us when we think maybe he's forgotten us. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Um, There's 
always these advances in our scientific age as people understand more and more about what's happening when a new mother is breastfeeding a baby or just even feeding a baby with a bottle. Um, This time of feeding is a time of, of the baby's key context for learning and brain development is happening. The time of feeding provides comfort and a sense of safety Even the sucking action itself, even with a pacifier, has been shown to reduce incidence of SIDS. Um, The feeding time releases hormones in the mother such as prolactin. And because this becomes the main context for bonding and trust for baby and mom, um, what often happens is a a mom, and we've had kids and... I can speak from personal experience, also friends of ours who have kids, is the mom usually knows what's going on and the dad, who isn't having that much time feeding the baby, is, just throws up his hands. I, just crying again, you know. <laughs> and the mom, often even before the baby cries, already is picking up on cues so that she can meet the needs of the baby. And in short, the baby learns, and I know, hey, This doesn't always happen. I don't want this to depress new moms who are saying, I don't know what's going on. That's real too. But the baby learns to depend on mommy for her life. A healthy baby learns mommy is reliable. When I make this sound, mommy reliably comes to help. God is like that. And so if you have in your life at all an example of a reliable nurturer of a mom, then you already have a picture in your life that helps you understand God. And he's better than that. Um, and, and then the real thing is, the honest thing is, some of, you ha- say some, some of you say, okay, reliably nurturing. My mom was reliably narcissistic. Or my mom was reliably, I mean, really, my mom was reliably cruel. My mom was reliably absent. There's those stories, and that's part of the deal. And so, um, in fact, in the 15th century, this was true, this has always been true, and so John Calvin, the the Reformation theologian, commenting on this text says, um, it sometimes happens, you know, in our world poisoned by sin, it sometimes happened that mothers degenerate into such monsters as to forget the fruit of their womb. That's vivid language. It's vivid. But that's, that's real. That's why one time a worshiper approached me after a worship service years ago and had a request that if we use verse 15 as a words of assurance after a confession of sin, which we do sometimes at City Life, that we don't leave out the second part, which we had sometimes would include it, sometimes wouldn't, where it says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. Because for this person who was approaching me and requesting this, that was the part of the verse that was powerful because mommy wasn't there growing up. you have a good example of a mother who's reliable, you've got a great example to 
to understand God. If you don't, you have God saying, I'll never be like that. I'll never be unreliable like that. We, let me transition a little bit. Um, well, let me say this. So when God, when God says to ancient Israel in exile, I'm going to be reliable. I am like a mother with a newborn. He is talking about unchangeable character. He is talking about himself as he is always. This can't change. He cannot leave you alone in your mess. He cannot forsake you. We see in the Bible the beautiful story from, you know, when he's calling out Adam and Eve's name after they've eaten the fruit in the garden all the way to the end when the city, the new Jerusalem is coming out of the heaven to earth from God. In that whole story we see over and over again God revealing, revealing his reliable attachment to us, to his people. He proves that he will never forsake. He will never leave. He will never abandon you. Part of being a Christian is thinking about that now and, and, and getting that into the cracks of your soul today so that when you're in a place of abandonment and forsakenness and doubt, you have it there at the ready. And part of how the Bible continues and God wants to continue to convince us of his radical, extreme attachment that he's made to us is when the monstrosity of abandonment that you and I fear most, when that gets felt and received by his one and only son. When Jesus on the cross utters the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a powerful exchange that says something big about what's happening. And what's happening is not only is God in this one instance actually embodying a monstrosity, but he's also cementing in place his reliability for you. This is one time in the Bible when God looks at a child of his and isn't there, abandons, forsakes. But it's the one time he does it even within himself as father and son. He brings that abandonment and forsakenness within himself to absorb it so that he'll never say it to you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Only once will he do that. Only once does that happen. And it's for the sake of his perpetual, definitive reliability to all of us, his runaway kids. Um, this is a great message. This is a great comfort. We're tempted, I think, in today's world, and really we're almost taught in today's world to grab hold of a message like this privately for ourselves, individually for our own ends. You know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But what is State Farm there for? It's for you to use and abuse when you're in trouble and then forget all about State Farm and move on to your, your next destination that you decide. And if you get in trouble, call State Farm again. It's not like 
that good neighbor is teaching you how to be a good neighbor. That's not the vision. It's a, an exchange, a business exchange. With God um, in the Bible, his enveloping us into the song of his love is not, it's not a private song you sing in your closet every morning all by yourself forever and ever. Notice the song that starts out as God is declaring there's going to be this great reversal for the exiles, for the abandoned ones. And there's so many ways he, he brings out what this is going to look like throughout this passage. We are only looking at one tiny part of it. But the song itself at the beginning, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains. People who study the book of Isaiah know that this is very classic in, in Isaiah's writing, but it's classic in the Bible as a whole is that God's vision is for the cosmos. It's not a private little song that you're going to sing when you know you're loved. It's a cosmic song. It's the song of the universe. It spreads. It grows. It's meant to leak out through uh, God's love into our lives and on and on and on. So even as God is showing us his motherly compassion as a father... He's God the Father, but he's got motherly compassion. As he's showing us that, he's not, he's not um, collecting kids for a family so that they could be spoiled individualistic brats. It's a different kind of family. It's a family that exhibits, as ch- the children exhibit, the motherly love that he shows. Let me connect this with a page out of another book. That's for kids, for older kids. I hope I can find the page. Did I not mark it? There you go. I think I got little tabs on it. This is a book by um, Gary Gary Schmidt, I think is how you say it. And uh, that looked like the page. Um, Yeah, here it is. It's a book by Gary Schmidt. It's called OK for Now. It's a novel for sort of like teens, adolescents. So there's this family going to get their son who's been off at Vietnam, their oldest son. It's told through the lens of the younger son. And they're coming to the bus, and they've gotten these vague letters that that say the son is not quite the same, but he's returning home, so they're excited, but they're not sure what they're in for. That's how it was, one by one, everyone coming off the bus, holding the rail as they stepped out until everyone was off the bus and the bus driver was standing by the empty luggage bins and closing them up and then he looked over at us. You folks waiting for a kid in a wheelchair, he said. No, said my father. But my mother gasped. And then she was running. She flew past the bus driver, up the stairs of the bus, We could hear her steps as she ran to the back. I came up behind her, and this is what I saw. My mother was kneeling down in front of my brother Lucas. One of the overhead lights was shining brightly on her hair, turning it all gold. She held Lucas's face in both her hands. Her blue coat was spread out, and it covered them both like wide wings, covered even the chair my brother was sitting in. She was kissing him, but I couldn't see his face until she reached to hold him close to her. And she put her head beside his. Then I could see him. I could see the wide gauze bandage across his eyes. Oh my God, it wasn't until she stood and turned to me and I could see why Lucas was in the chair. Both his legs were missing, above the knees. My mother looked at me. 
that smile. Next to them stood a smart soldier in his uniform, perfect, his hat off and under his arm, looking, like, looking away like he wasn't supposed to be seeing this. I walked down the aisle, touching each of the seats as I passed them. My mother watched every step I took. When I was in front of the wheelchair, she put her hand on the back of my brother's head and, she leaned, and he leaned into her. Lucas, I said. He tilted his face up to me. Hi, Doug, he said. He reached out and I took his hand. It was trembling a little. I got dinged up, he said. A little bit, I said. He smiled. I never saw it before, but he smiles like my mother. The gospel is not um, encountering God's love just for yourself to have and to hoard. The gospel is a love that you absorb, it becomes you, and it leaks out through you. God's reliability has its ending in the cosmos singing his song. And it spreads, and it envelops new people, and it wins others over because the kids who have been loved become the lovers. The book, Love You Forever, ends like this. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. One day, she called up her son and said, You better come see me because I'm very old and sick. So, her son came to see her. When he came to the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you'll be. And when that son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. He picked her up in his arms and very slowly rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. God's reliability is catchy. And when we catch it, and it's already happening, City Life Church becomes a part of this people that has encountered the reliability of God. We go out in a very admittedly flaky world with the reliability of God's love. And so City Life in our serving teams, in our community pods, and in our worship here, and in our... Um, volunteering, we become hotbeds of God's reliability. Let us pray. Our gracious God, your spirit moves when we connect with your love and you draw us towards yourself. Thank you for doing that this morning. Thank you for loving us so much.
Continue to do it. Show us your love. Nurture your love. Nurture the growth of your love in us and in this church so that we might continue to leak out and envelop more of your cosmos in your song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.